Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, New Spring. Hello to all of you. I'm in South Auditorium. For those of you in North Auditorium, hello to you watching online, watching on television. And I I know I say this, but I don't think I can ever say it enough. Thank you for all you do to attend New Spring Church. I know it's a challenge, parking places and lines and finding seats and all of that kind of thing. We never take it lightly. And I want you to know we're always working on ways to create more space here at New Spring. And we're just thankful that you've come to travel with us. By the way, wasn't that an awesome worship service today? I went home after the four o'clock service last night and I thought, I, the, the, I couldn't hardly really sleep. I, I, I just couldn't wait till the worship service today. And I get to do it one more time at the 1115 service. So thank you for being here today. Today's, today's title of our series is Toes in the Water. Real, real quick, we need to just pull over to the side of the road and do a little, bit, a little bit of review from last week. I know many of you were here last week, but just in case you weren't, I want to give you some idea of what our series is about and it'll get us into today's talk. When we talk about promised land, We're talking about a picture in the Bible. In in, in literal terms, the people of Israel uh, were slaves in Egypt, and God brought them out of Egypt and took them toward the promised land that he had actually begun to promise to Abraham centuries before. And um, we saw last week that what happened was God got them across the Red Sea, did an absolute miracle. They didn't have to do anything, which we'll talk about in just a moment. They got right up to the border of the promised land, and then they choked at that moment of destiny and wimped out on God and decided that they weren't willing to take the risk of going into the promised land. Well, they couldn't go back to Egypt because God had delivered them from that, but they didn't want to go into the promised land, so there was nothing left for them to do but wander in circles. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about how that in our Christian life, and by the way, the Bible is very clear on this, that, that story has huge ramifications for us. A whole lot of the New Testament uses metaphors from their story to refer to what's going on in our lives in 2022. That's why we're taking some time to look at that old story and pull those parallels. Well, let's go into what we looked at last week. There were just a couple of verses that really stood out to me and I asked you to kind of own them so we would have them for the rest of the series. The Bible says Deuteronomy chapter one, and just so that you get the time period here, the Israelites have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that older faithless generation died out. Moses now is an old man. He's not gonna be able to go into the promised land, but he is gonna have some time to talk to this young generation, this young generation who is filled with faith. They're ready to take the challenge. But what he does wanna do with this young generation is rehearse the history so that they will not make the mistakes of the older generation. And that's where we are. So he's telling this young generation what happened. They weren't around unless they were very small at the time. And many of them are hearing this for the first time. So here we go, Deuteronomy 1 verse 2. Normally, it takes only 11 days, but 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt, and then the rest of the story. And I ask you to consider that juxtaposition because, see, that experience that they had in the wilderness was only supposed to last 11 days, but they wound up spending 40 years there. But now Moses is talking to this young generation, and he's telling them what God said to him about that generation. He said, we wandered around for a long time. Then at last, the Lord said to me, you have been wandering around long enough, turn. 
That's what I want to preach to all of us here today. Because as I said last week, when I look at the average American Christian, that is where I see us. That's even where I see myself to some extent. I, you know, I hear so many Christians who kind of tell me their experience with God and it's like they're wandering in circles. They're in a dry place. And oftentimes it's because we fail to take God up on his challenge for where he wants to take us next. And when we talk about the promised land, we're not talking about a literal place. We're not talking about heaven here. The promised land as is presented to us in the New Testament is experiencing God's full destiny for our lives. And I, I, I accidentally wound up listening to the sermon last week. I was out walking and I was wanting to listen to an old sermon on my podcast. And all of a sudden that sermon came on and to show you how I, I tend to forget the last message and go on to the next one, it took me about three minutes before I said, oh, that's last week's message. <laughs> that's a fact. But, but one of the things that I asked in that message is, wouldn't you like to see what you were meant to be? I mean, many of us are only living on a half or a quarter power that God has for our lives. Wouldn't you love to see yourself in God's full destiny? So that's what God is saying to all of us. And I believe he's saying it to me today. You've wandered around, you've gone in circles long enough. I mean, you've, you've, your experience with God has been drier than it should have been. Turn, have a change of direction. Now, we saw last week also, and I'm just still a little bit in review. We saw last week that their problem was rebellion. In other words, God said what he wanted them to hear, but they pushed back against God. And that's a massive problem in our culture today. I think it's a last days issue, especially. Because there are a lot of Christians who say, well, I like what God says about this, but I don't like what God says about that. And sometimes people will say, oh, I don't like what the preacher said, but in reality, the preacher's just reading the word of God. And that's what the Israelites did. They blamed Moses. But in reality, they just flipped God off. And so that's a very common thing today. I mean, there are people that just say, well, it's 2022. And I know what the Bible says, but it's just the times are different. That's rebellion. That is part and parcel of what is exactly what kept the Israelites out of the promised land. And I showed you that in those verses last week. And here's the thought, the last thought that I'm going to leave with you before we move on to today's topic. And I hope that we all, including your pastor, buy into this. There is massive power available to you. There is power to live your life and to fulfill your destiny. There is massive, there's God power. There's power that's beyond your resources. I love the old line from the old hymn. I haven't sung it in a long time, but it says, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. There is that kind of power available for you. There's that kind of power available for your marriage. Parents, Lord knows we need power in raising our kids and not the power to scream. We need the power. We need God power behind us. There is massive power available to you if you're a Christ follower. There's massive freedom. You know, I think so many of us, including myself, who deal with emotional disorders and emotional issues, I mean, I understand some of it's chemical, but in large part, I think we're not living in freedom. We're living in all kinds of bondages, bondages of fear, bondages of worry, bondages of pride. And we have to understand that this, there's power available to us. There's freedom available to us. And then I haven't even gotten to the third one, blessing. In other words, there's a there's a sense of God opening the windows of heaven and giving you things that you've dreamed of having, things you haven't even dreamed of having that God knows that you need. That's available to us. There is massive power, freedom, and blessing available to all of us. But the moment I rebel against God, it all goes away. All. And all I'm left with is what the Israelites had in the wilderness, just enough manna to keep you alive spiritually for one more day, going in circles. 
And if I bow my neck and I tell God, I'm sorry, God, I know what you say in your word. I just don't, I don't see it that way. It all goes away. And that's true for me. And I'm like, I told you last week, God is working in my heart. And you know, I, I feel like, and I'm cautious about saying this. I feel like God said something directly to me. He didn't say it out loud. What God said to me at three o'clock in the morning last Saturday, well, I guess it was Sunday morning early. God said, Mark, you have creative ways of telling me no. I'm just, just keeping it real. I want you to know I have to do this stuff just like you do. I don't get any, I don't, I don't get any discounts because I'm a preacher. Okay. So for all of us who want to experience God's best, his awesome, des- awesome destiny for our lives, let's see what it takes. We're going to make a start today. Okay. Work with me. Because remember, we're going to look at this Old Testament picture and we're going to draw the lessons for us today in 2022. Israelites now, whole new generation, they're on the border of the promised land. They're about to go in, finally, after all these years. Now, some of you love geography. And I don't know, it may not be many of you, but you know who you are. You just like to see this stuff in your head. So I want to just kind of tell you where the Israelites are. This is interesting. Because if you look at the normal trek that the Israelites would take coming up from Egypt, they would have come up from the south, they would have gone up through Gaza and entered at the very southern border of Israel. But that's where the cities of the Philistines were. Hey, some of those cities of the Philistines still have that name. I was in Israel as a guest of the foreign minister a few years ago in Ashkelon. That was one of the cities of the Philistines, still there on the south, right, right there by Gaza. So God doesn't want them to get into a fight immediately with the Philistines. So instead of taking them directly up from the south, he has them swing out to the east and come around and approach Israel from the eastern border, east to west. Now, for all of you who know, who know Israel, maybe you've been there, at least maybe you've read about it, you know that Israel has water all the way from the north to the south, and there are no breaks in that water. Up at the north, there's the Sea of Galilee, and at the south, there's the Dead Sea. And there's a river that runs from the north to the south, and it's called the Jordan River. So here's the deal. Just in this, for those of you who didn't like geography and you just phased out on me, let's come right back to where we can all pick this up. Okay, they got to go across water to get in the promised land. Three million people. They got to go across water they can't walk across. And God has them like moving right toward that water, and they don't know how they're going to get across. Three million people, their kids, their belongings, their animals, too deep to swim across. So that's where we have it. God is leading them toward their destiny. Moving them to the banks of Jordan was not their idea. It was God's idea. They're on a God journey headed for a God destiny. But right at the entry point, and New Spring, please, all antenna up right now. Because this is important for you where you are in your world today. They come to a situation, and there's only one word to explain it, and that is impossible. I mean, where are they going to cross? They're not going to cross the Dead Sea. They're not going to cross Galilee. They're going to have to cross the Jordan River. And they can't walk across. And they can't swim across. And God is like, move into position. We're going to go in there. But how are they going to get across? It's impossible. And here's where that lesson goes for us today. Living in God's destiny for your life is impossible. I mean, it's just going to, you know, I thought about how to say this, but I just thought about what God has done in my life. You have to develop a certain comfortable, you have to develop a certain level of comfortable with the impossible. Now, if you're in the wilderness wandering around, just pulling man off the ground, having the same old same experience with God, that doesn't really require impossible. But for you to like move into place and experience what God's best is for your life, you're going to have to become comfortable with living an impossible life. 
Because see, that's the thing. And I, and I just I prayed about how to say this, but this is so important, New Spring. I just, I wish somebody had taught me this when I was young in church. See this thing about destiny. God wants to do it with you. I mean, I don't know why, but for some reason, God just wants to be with us. He wants to experience life with us, and he's in the realm of the impossible. And the only way to live a God life is to live an impossible life. And you can't live an impossible life without doing impossible things. But there's one thing that every promised land dwelling woman knows here today. I mean, for that woman who is here and you're living in the zone of God's full destiny for your life, you know something that the rest of us don't know. For every man who's in the zone and you're living the God destiny life, you know something that the rest of us don't know. And what it is is what Jesus said in Luke 18, 27. Those things which are impossible with men are possible with God. We have to get comfortable with doing impossible things because that's the only way to live in your destiny, do it. But boy, isn't it great to be living in a world where the impossible is happening every day of your life? Well, I'm big on constructs. I was a debater in high school and college, and so I learned to develop logical constructs to help me. So let's, get, let's look at a five-plank construct right now that helps us understand where the Israelites were and where we are. Number one, God has a promised land for me. You, can, you don't have to say it out loud, but own that today. God has a promised land for you. In other words, whatever God's full destiny is for you. Number two, there's a river in the way. Number three, I don't know how to get across. Number four, it's too deep to walk. And by that, I mean you don't have the resources or the ability to do it on your own. And number five, but my destiny is on the other side of that river. Now, God has a promised land for me. There's a river in the way. I don't know how to get across. It's too deep to walk. But my destiny is on the other side of that river. Now, just so we don't get too metaphorical, if we're not in God's full destiny for our lives, if we're in the wilderness, bells sounding, horns sounding, this is huge. If we're not in God's full destiny for our lives, something is in the way. I mean, some of you, it's a relationship. You know it's not a healthy relationship. You deal with things that you should not have to to deal with. You may even be dealing with abuse. And so ending that relationship is in the way of God's full destiny for your life. It could be that there's this, it could be simple act of obedience. You know God is calling you to do something. We'll talk about some of those things in just a moment. And you think it would take a miracle for me to do that. And, and what can happen, and, and here's one of those creative rebellion things that I talked about. We say like, well, God, I don't want to start out that kind of life if I can't live it. Anyone feel that today? You're like, God, that sounds good, but I just don't know if I can pull that off. And so I don't want to disappoint you. Or it could be a sin bondage. I'm talking to a guy here today. I don't know your name, but you got a problem with pornography. There's a river and you don't, you can't get across that polluted river. And because of that, you can't experience God's destiny and you try to go on with God. But the problem is you can't go on with God because you can't cross that river. So it it could just be some behavior or some pursuit that we love more than God. No getting around it. If I'm not in the promised land today, there's a river in my way that I can't figure out how to cross and it's too deep for me to walk across. And not to get too existential on you today, but I really do believe that we, we have a series of rivers. I mean, it's, it's not like just the Israelites we're dealing with. I think in all of us, there's going to be a daily challenge to move into God's full destiny for our lives. And there, are, even if you cross some rivers to get into promised land, if you're not fully experiencing God's destiny, 
challenges are, the, the, the likelihood is there's a river in your way. And one more thing. For some of you, you've already identified that river. You're quick. And you've said, this is what's keeping me out of the promised land. But I'm guessing that even though you want to cross that river, there's something inside of you that says the timing is not right. This is not a good time. This is not a good time to end that relationship. This is not a good time for me to take that step. And so just in case we're there today, I want to show you something. Because when God moved the Israelites into place, the timing looked all bad, all wrong. Joshua 3.15. Joshua 3 is the chapter where they go across the Jordan. But the Bible has this little blurb that it throws in there. The Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So in other words, it wasn't like they just walked to the river and there's this well-defined edge. They, they get, and the water has spilled over the banks and it's up on the land and people are looking at this and like, God, this is really a bad time. I mean, maybe we might try to swim across if, the, you know, if it was like the weather we're having today and it was so dry and the water levels were down. But no, it's a flood stage. But you know what? Listen to me, New Spring. Study your Bible, and you'll discover that great people like Esther and Daniel, when they did great things for God, it was always in a season of things being worse than normal. It didn't look like the timing was good. So somebody could just say, well, Mark, I'm, I'm into crossing a river, and maybe someday you know, I'll, do, I'll cross that river, or I'll ask God what to do about it, but the timing is not good. Listen to me, please. God only has one word for you today, and that's the word today. You say, well, Mark, maybe you just made that up. I want you to read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 with me. Hebrews is one of the books in the New Testament that points out how that, that old, old situation of the Israelites is a picture of our lives today. Watch this. The Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled and they tested me in the wilderness. You see what I'm saying? That's a New Testament book. It's written to us. It's written centuries after the Israelites were in the wilderness. God is saying, if you got a river to cross, if there's something keeping you out of God's full destiny, and even if the circumstances don't feel like they're right, God is like one word, and that's today, today. And you saw what I saw. If I tell God no, God just says, Mark, according to the word of God, you've hardened your heart, and the harder our heart gets, the bigger challenge it's going to be to experience God's full destiny. Now, I'm going to catch somebody, though. You say, Mark, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to understand you. But sometime back, you said this is an impossible life. And I know I'm standing at my river and I can't walk across and today's the day. But what do I do about this impossible part? Okay, like I told you, this next little blurb is going to feel dry. But just hang with me, okay? Hang with me because we're going to pull out. It's like eating lobster. It's work, isn't it, to eat lobster? But oh, the meat is so good when you get there. That's what's going to happen here. Okay. The Israelites had come to a body of water 40 years before. When they were leaving Egypt, there was a sea in front of them, the Red Sea. And remember, we talked about last week, the difference between God bringing them out of Egypt and God taking them into the promised land. We said God bringing them out of Egypt is a picture of our salvation. And there wasn't a thing that the Jewish people did to be free from their bondage. God did it all. God sent 10 plagues, and the last plague was so draconian that Pharaoh said, I'm going to let you go. They get to the Red Sea. 
They don't know how to get across. Pharaoh is chasing them. The Red Sea is a lot wider even than the Jordan River. They're just in an impossible situation. But notice, we're going we're gonna to look at a distinction here that's very important. Because remember, that's a picture of our salvation, what God does for us. When they get to that body of water, Moses gives them the word of God. Don't be afraid. Just, look at the next two words, stand still. Next word, and watch. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. That is your picture of your salvation. I mean, you don't do a thing to get free from bondage. You don't do a thing to cross that border between bondage and freedom with God. Moses said, just stand still. You don't have to do anything. Don't move, don't freak. And God opened the Red Sea and they went across. But now the situation is they're on the border of the promised land, which is God's full destiny for their lives, is very different. Because they're coming to the Jordan River. Now, watch the language of the scriptures. The priest, and by the way, in the Bible, priests always represent people to God. So consequently, the priests here represent the whole nation. The priest will carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth as soon as their feet touch the water. Now, one more time, verse 15. The Jordan was overflowing its banks, but as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up. Now, you caught what I caught. Salvation is very different from this. In salvation, God said, stand still and watch. I mean, he does it all. I mean, we don't forgive ourselves. We don't write our name in the Lamb's book of life. We don't bring the Holy Spirit into our lives. We don't, we don't, we don't do anything to get all the promises of God and salvation. But now we're talking about the Christian life. And this time, even though it was impossible, it was too deep to walk across and they couldn't swim, God did not open up that river until somebody's feet, somebody's toes touched the water. And that's what we're going to talk about today in this little talk called Toes in the Water. I'm going to take an enormous risk right now because I want to share three stories from my life. And the reason I say it's a risk is somebody could walk out of here and say, Mark talked about himself today. But that's not what this is about. Some of these stories I've told before at New Spring, and I've told them in relationship to a specific topic, but this time I tell these stories because I want you to see how, how this toes in the water thing fits. So please know, I mean, I know my stories. I, I don't know everyone else's stories here. I know my stories. And I just want to tell you that, I mean, and the reason why I give these stories is back in the old days when I grew up, we used to have what we call testimony meetings. And a testimony meeting was where somebody stood up and told about what God had done in their lives. And so instead of this being me talking about me, I just want to share my testimony. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and somebody wrote me the other day and said, you have an awful lot of favorite verses in the Bible, and that's true. Plead guilty. But I love this verse so much because David wrote this in the Psalms. All believers, come here and listen. Let me tell you what God has done for me. And by this, please don't believe that I'm fully in the promised land, fully living out God's destiny, but I can tell you the dwelling that I've had in God's promised land comes back to stories like this. And I guess the reason why they're they're on my mind is um, I had a birthday last week and those birthdays are like piling up. I mean, if I put candles on my cake, they'd have to call out the Andover Fire Department. It'd be a fire hazard. 
But I, I started doing something when I turned 30. And for all of you that didn't grow up as baby boomers, you don't know what I'm talking about. But I grew up in the hippie age, and the idea was don't trust anybody over 30. And so when I turned 30, it was traumatic. <laughs> I mean, I was like counting down. You know, I turned 28, man, two more years, and I'll be 30. And I remember, and I was at New Spring at the time. I had come a year or so before. But I was just depressed. But I remember waking up in the middle of the night, the night before I turned 30. Well, actually, my birthday's right after midnight, so I guess I'd already been 30. And I started thinking about my life and evaluating. I'm not talking about the things that happened. I evaluated decisions. And so I thought, well, God's working in my life. So I turned over and went back to sleep. But ever since then, on my birthday, I look back on my life. And now, of course, there's a lot more to look back on. And I thought about three decision points in my life that carried me across impossible rivers and led me into destiny. The first one I would tell you about, and this is a river that some of you need to cross, and you can grin because this is literal. The first river that I really needed to cross was baptism. And the word of God tells us there's a miracle associated with baptism. And it's this, the baptism doesn't save you. You're saved because you invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life. So you, you don't get baptized in order to get saved. You, you get baptized in order because you are saved. See, when I prayed to receive Christ, there was nobody around me. I didn't pray out loud. I prayed on the playground in my school. I was eight years old in the third grade. I remember the message that my dad had preached the day before. He said, if you ask God to forgive you, he'll forgive you of all your sins. And when I was eight, eight years old, I had a pretty big rap sheet already. And I've been over the water fountain of Forest Hill Elementary School in Fort Worth. And I prayed and invited Jesus Christ into my heart and life. Nobody saw it. But that's the thing about salvation. We have all different kinds of experiences of when we pray to receive Christ. But God wanted something to be public. And, and beyond that, he wanted us to go public with our faith and acknowledge him in a public kind of way. But there's a, there's a miracle associated with baptism. The Bible tells us that when we are baptized, we get a clean conscience toward God. There's just, because obviously in refusing to be baptized, there's a rebellious aspect to that. And sometimes people will say, well, you know, my parents had me baptized in a different kind of church and they might look at it as a repudiation of their faith, which it's not. It's just Jesus is supposed to come first. Well, I had an issue with that. I had an issue, big issue with that when I was 14. And I'll tell you a little bit of the story. My dad was a pastor. I've already said that in the service today. And a great man. My mom and dad were great people. But I remember when I turned six years old, they, I guess because I was so incorrigible, they, they knew I needed to be saved. And so I remember this like it was yesterday. I was playing with some plastic figurines in the living room and dad told me to put them down because he wanted to talk to me about being saved. So I remember putting them back in my case and sitting down and listening to my dad. And dad gave me the plan of salvation. He said, Mark, wouldn't you like to pray and invite Jesus into your life? I didn't understand what I was doing, but dad asked me to do it. And so I did. I prayed a prayer. And the next day, dad said, okay, we're going to church today. You need to bring another set of clothes because you're going to be baptized. Okay. So I was baptized, or at least I was put underwater, went, went down dry and came up wet. But I had no idea what was going on. And then God began to like work in my heart and life. And I was always very private. I never had a conversation with my parents about any of these things. I wish I had. But I was like working this all out in my head. And as I was growing in faith and understanding the gospel, well, like I said, when I was eight years old, I invited Jesus Christ into my life. But now I got a problem. 
I haven't been baptized. I mean, I, I had something before, but see, baptism is a testimony of something that's happened. If you're in trial, you can't give a testimony of something that may happen next year. And my baptism was on the wrong side of my salvation. So it wasn't actually baptism. And I knew it was wrong. But if you're the pastor's kid, and I mean, you live in a glass house. I mean, in those days, you had to walk forward in church. If you had decisions, shake the pastor by the hand. My Sunday school teacher, they believe Mark was saved and baptized when he was six. Everybody in the church does, you know. I mean, if you're a pastor's kid in a church like that, you just live, like I said, in a glass house. Where's that, where's that greeting card that says to your pastor, I really wasn't saved when I was six, but I'm saved now. And you know what? That was a wilderness for me because I just couldn't go any further with God because God won't take you to the next place if we have rebellion at that first place. And sermon after sermon went by and just God was like, Mark, you got to deal with this. Mark, you got to deal with this. And I'm like, well, but God, it would be so inconvenient. The, the river's above flood stage right now. But there was just an emptiness in me. And I'm ashamed to say year after year went by and I knew what I needed to do, but now I'm 14 years old. And I'm sitting in church. It's not a big church. And all of us tough teenage boys, we sat on the back row crossed our arms like we didn't care what was going on and act, you know, acted tough. It's Sunday morning and you know what I have to do if I'm going to make a decision. I got to go forward in church. Got to make this public. And so I'm sitting back there and God is like, Mark, you need to deal with this. Mark, you need to deal with this. And I'm like, but God, it's going to be a mess. I'm a very private person. I'm very shy. So I did something weird. I wish I had this on videotape. Maybe God kept it and watch it when I get to heaven. But I, I put my foot out into the aisle because I was on the end, like I was going to go forward. And then I pulled it back. And then I put it out in the aisle. And then I pulled it back. I looked like I was doing the Texas two-step back there. <laughs> and to this day, I don't know what happened. There was just that moment where I put my foot out in the aisle, and then my other foot went. And I got to tell you, you can, you can call me crazy if you want to. It was like some kind of power just picked me up and carried me the rest of the way. And when I stood there with dad, I told him what was going on in my life. And that invitation lasted another 30 minutes because right behind me, when dad announced my decision, my Sunday school teacher said, I need to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. My best friend who had been sitting next to me said, I need to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. See, it looked impossible to me. And I don't even know how I got forward that day. I can just tell you that there was a peace that came over me that I cannot even begin to describe because I got my baptism. See, the baptism is important to God. You're like, Mark, I just think baptism is a church rule. Well, you don't know the Bible because when Jesus left us, he left us with only three, three assignments. He said, make, make disciples, evangelize, baptize, and teach. And for those of us who need to take that step, I would just say, cross that river. In fact, behind me, there's going to be there's going to be a way where you can sign up for baptism. I can just tell you, it transformed my life. And it wasn't just very long after that that God called me to preach. I crossed that river by the grace of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, there was another river that I had to cross. And that was the river of um, generosity. I grew up in church. I was taught what the word of God says about tithing. The Bible says, bring all the tithes, the whole tenth of your income into the storehouse. That's where you worship, that there may be food in my house. And God says, test me on this. It's the only time in the Bible God says, test him. 
God said, test me on this. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Well, I'll be the honest. I'll be the first person to be honest. If I give God a tenth of my income, it's going to feel like I've got less. But God says he would open the windows of heaven. And remember this whole thing about crossing the river is it's impossible. But you see, God doesn't begin to open the windows of heaven until we put our toes in the water. I grew up poor. My dad didn't make very much money. I had to work my way all the way through college. I mean, there just wasn't a whole lot of extra money in our home. And so I didn't have that much problem when I was young because I didn't make very much money. And so, you know, it wouldn't, if I made, you know, an allowance of $1.50 a week, then 15 cents was not too much to put. But I remember the first time it was really a challenge for me. I started preaching when I was 16. I graduated from high school early. And as crazy as it sounds, there was a church in West Texas. I was leading, leading worship in my church. There was a church in West Texas that wanted me to come out and lead worship. It seems crazy, 17-year-old kid. For a, a conference in their church. And so I said, yes. I mean, it was just awesome. I mean, I got to hang out with this, this high-profile pastor who had come from Oklahoma to lead the conference. I mean, I, I, I led worship. It was the first time I ever preached on the radio. It was just, it was quite an experience. I thought I was supposed to pay them. And, and I remember at the end of that weekend con or the week conference, they gave me a check. And, and this doesn't sound like a lot of money, but this was back in 1970, a long time ago. And it was a lot of money to me. It was $130. And I looked at that check and I thought, I got stuff I need to do with this money. Now, like I told you, I didn't grow up, I grew up kind of poor and I had a 1966 Ford that unfortunately was in an accident and it messed up the front end of the car and there wasn't any, there wasn't any collision insurance to fix it. For a long time, it just sat there. And then dad said, let's go down to the junkyard and find another 66 Ford front end. We'll put it on there. And, and I lived out in the country a little bit. We put it in on, put it in, on the car in the driveway of our house. Kind of reminds me of Foxworthy. You may be a redneck if, you know. <laughs> the only thing was, it was red. My car was white. I had the only one in Tarrant County. <laughs> you, know, you didn't have to ask, is that Mark coming? You knew it was Mark coming. So in those days, you could get a really cheap paint job, you know, and I thought, well, my whole car would be white. So that was first on my list. But then I thought, but I also had four ball tires. And, um, you know, if you're 17 years old, you need the paint job first before you need the ball tires. You know, I'm driving 70 plus miles an hour, I don't eight twenty. And I thought, well, maybe I could get four cheap tires for $130. But then... <laughs> There was what I really needed. And if you're not a baby boomer, because today we have Bluetooth and all those devices, you don't even know this word. I need a stereo. <laughs> My life has a soundtrack. And those, they were expensive in those days. So I looked at that $130 and I thought, okay, I can only pick one of those. I'm just going to have to rank these in priority. And then I go to church the next Sunday at my church and I had that check still in my pocket and the Holy Spirit said, what about the tithe? And I said, oh, Lord, not now. <laughs> this river's overflowing. <laughs> and I said, God, that's like tithe and offering would be like $15. And God, that would like scuttle. I mean, it could just be a deal breaker for all three of these things. And God said, you're going to obey me or not? So I took out that money and I sang the old song, God be with you till we meet again and left it in the offering plate. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh boy. 
but I knew it obeyed God. So we had this guy in our church named Roy Cox. And Roy and his wife, they're probably around, I guess they're probably in their late 50s. They didn't have any children. And as I said, I, I, was, I led worship in my church and I also had begun to preach at that time some. And they just were kind of tickled that there's this teenage boy that was trying to follow God. And so they, he would come talk to me. The only problem I have with that is I have ADHD. And if somebody's talking to me, I want them to get to the point. Get me to a bottom line fast. And I know I should grow out of that, but I... I've given up on that. <laughs> the problem with Roy was Roy talked real slow. <laughs> and before he, before he started talking, he would rock back and forth. I mean, he's, I, I guess that's how he got the words out, you know, <laughs> kind of rocking back and forth. So he came, I saw him coming and I, I couldn't, couldn't get out of the way. So, and he called me little brother. So he came up and he started rocking and he said, little brother, can I have your keys? Oh, my dad taught me to be respectful. So he said, can I have your car keys? I took my car keys out of my pocket and I gave them to Roy. And that's all he said. Turned around and left. I went and found my dad and I said, can I ride home with you? And dad said, well, where's your car? I said, well, Roy Cox took it. He said, well, what does he want with your car? I said, I don't know. You taught me to tell grown-ups yes. <laughs> he had it all week. Went back to church. Roy was there. He had my car. He said, little brother, I have a friend who's got a body shop. And he said, I just wanted to paint your car for you. Well, I hadn't talked to anybody about any of this stuff about what I was going to do with the money. It's between me and God. And I go out to the parking lot. My car's white. That was before church. So I go through the service. I get to the end of the service. Here comes Roy Cox. Rocking back and forth. Little brother. I've been thinking about this. He said, you know, I noticed you had four ball tires on your car. Can I have your... And I had them out already. <laughs> and Roy took my car. And when, I, when it came back, it had four new tires on it. Now, I just one more time. I won't stress. No, I didn't talk to anybody about this. And now I thought, I got $115 to buy a stereo with. Hmm, what kind of stereo could I have for $115? In the meantime, again, I hadn't talked to anybody about this. I get a call from a friend. Now, again, for, you got to have a little age on you to remember that this was a high-end electronics company back in the day. I've had a friend who called me and he said the Akai company, which is a Japanese electronics company, he said the Akai company is... They've exported a lot of uh, one particular model of stereo. They've decided not to market in the United States. They're all over in a warehouse in Richardson. They were like $360 for the head unit. He said, if you'll go over to Richardson right now to this warehouse and take $59, you can get a brand new stereo system. Drove over to Richardson, came back, and I got to thinking about that. I got a white car with four new tires and a big stereo and got money left over. And that's not about paint jobs, that's not about tires, and it's not about stereos. It's about God keep teaching a 17-year-old kid that he was going to take to great places, that even if the river was overflowing, put your toes in the water, then God will do the miracle. See, that's the thing. 
Some of us want the river to open up and we're going to stand over here and watch and God will not listen to me, please. As far as saving you, he will open up the Red Sea and bring you across and it won't take you anything. But if you want to go to your destiny, he will not put your toes in the water. He will not do that. He'll let you stay in the wilderness. Because see, the thing of it is, the, the, the promised land is all about God's destiny for your life. One more thing, and I, I know we're in overtime, and I'm going to try to finish this really fast. I don't think I've ever told this story except the four o'clock service last night. I told it to my sons. Mary Alice lived it with me. And I think I told it to Billy Poor, our executive pastor. When I'm now in college preparing to be a minister, I was in my junior year and things got really dry. I'd had the, I mean, I, I loaded up on those courses. I was really excited about taking my freshman and sophomore year, but my junior year, I'm just taking courses that are really dry. And I had to work my way through college, which meant I would go to class every morning at seven o'clock and I would have classes through noon. And then I went to work at one o'clock and worked to nine o'clock in the evening. And then I would have to go home and do my, my work after that. And I was just exhausted and dry. And I, I don't, I mean, here's the thing. It sounded like I had a creative way of getting out of God's will because I said to Mary Alice, we weren't married yet, so I'm gonna go to night classes, but I wanna get a job. I'm tired of being dirt poor. I'm tired of working seven days a week. And I just said, I'm gonna go, go to night courses. And I did get a job. I got a very good job. I wound up working for Coca-Cola. It was on the product end of Coca-Cola. And in those days, Coca-Cola had two divisions. They had a, what they called a cold bottle division. That was for you know, the, the people that loaded the machines with cans or, or bottles. And then they had the sales unit that worked with the grocery stores and the convenience stores and then ordered product. And we would go in and face the product in the grocery stores. And those sales jobs, they were for guys typically who had been with Coca-Cola for 20 or 30 years. And through the miracle of God, I got, here I'm 20 years old, I, I wind up in the sales department, but I had a specific job, which really, to be honest, between you and me, was the hardest job in Coca-Cola because my job was to pull the route of guys who were on vacation. There were 26 salesmen in Tarrant County. They got two weeks vacation. That adds up to 52 weeks a year. And so the job that I was given was you got to pull the route of everybody who's on vacation, which meant every two weeks I went in, got a different company car, got a completely different route. I had to deal with every vendor, grocery store, convenience store, anybody that sold product for Coca-Cola. Look at their buying patterns, order for them, and then face stock in the grocery stores. The deal was, though, with Coca-Cola, those guys who had been there for a long time, they were looking for cushy jobs. They'd already felt like they'd done their hard work, and so a lot of them didn't work very hard. And because of that, there were bad relationships between them and a lot of the, especially grocery stores that they served. And so here I am, 20 years old, and they start scaring me. They said, when you're in this route, watch out for this Safeway manager. Watch out for this Winn-Dixie manager. Watch out for this Skaggs Alpha Beta manager because he, he hates Coca-Cola. And he scared me to death. But they said, there's one guy that will just, he hates Coke. He, he chews salesmen up for breakfast. His name was Johnny, and last name was a farm animal. And I was so terrified. And I remember going into his store and I was like basically shaking. I went up to his cage where he was and I said to him, and I don't even know how I got these words. I said, hi, I'm Mark Cooper. I'm gonna be Coca-Cola for the next two weeks. Mister, and I called him by his name. I said, what can I do to make your life easier? And he just, I mean, from that point on, we were best friends. He actually had some of his 
workers do some of my work for me. And he called Coca-Cola, he called my boss, and he said, is there any way I can have Mark Hoover for my Coca-Cola rep? That turned me into a legend. (laughs) And I love to sell, and I love Coca-Cola. And I remember when I got that job, I, I, got a, like, I was making like four or five times what I've made before. And I walked in one day and without even telling me, all of a sudden my pay doubled and I was making what guys who'd been with Coca-Cola 30 years were making. And I'm 20 years old. But in the meantime, a country church south of Fort Worth called and said, we would love to have you come and be a pastor. It was less than half of what I, way less than half of what I was making with no benefits. And I went in to tell my boss that I was going to leave Coke, leave that job. And I never will forget, he said, well, I understand that you believed you're called into ministry, but he said, I think you're a special person. He said, he looked at me and he said, Mark, if you will stay with me five years, we'll both be in Atlanta. You know, it was a few years ago. I thought, wonder whatever happened to him. He became COO of Coca-Cola. But I walked away and I went to this little country church and finished college. Now, here's the weird thing, New Spring, and the whole reason I'll tell you that story. When I had that decision to make, if God could have shown me New Spring, I would have said, boom, it's a piece of cake. I'm out of here. But they weren't asking me to, you know, God wasn't asking me to leave that job and come be pastor of New Spring. He was asking me to take this job of making almost no money. I mean, it took me years before I ever made again what I made at Coca-Cola. So God didn't show me New Spring. He just said, Mark, I have a destiny for you. I want to take you with me to experience miraculous things. Toes in the water. I don't know what your river is. Could be baptism. Could be like mine. It could be something has to do with generosity. It could be like that last one. It could be God's full destiny for your life. God may not be calling you to pastor or lead a church, but he's got a destiny for your life. And that's the thing. God wants to take you where he wants to take you. And the only way you can get there is toes in the water. Thank you. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.